Good morning, afternoon, or evening. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Helena Cicero, and I've been coming to Harrisburg BIC since 2002, but this is my first time ever preaching. A few years ago, I had this overwhelming sense during worship one week that I have a sermon in me, so here I am, excited, happy, a little nervous, and ready to share what God has put on my heart and in my mind. I will say this whole process has been evidence at God at work and how you are cared for when you listen to God. Since I always appreciate any chance when we get to learn a little bit about each other, you get to hear a bit about me today. Here's my family, my husband Patrick, kids Jack and Maggie, and I've been a museum educator for 20 years, and I've been working at the Oaks Museum of Natural History at Messiah College since 2002. I engage museum visitors, a lot of children, about our world, mostly teaching about animals. I love that I get to talk to a wide variety of ages of people, and some of my favorite things are examining the eyelashes of a moose with a preschooler, going into the creek with third graders to see what animals live in the water, and inflating the lungs of a frog during dissection with middle and high schoolers. Also, I've been in the church my whole life, but I haven't always had a clear understanding of who God is and how God works in the world. But I have found a lot of comfort and peace with the idea of God as our loving creator God. A few weeks ago, Pastor Hank preached on stewarding the creation, that God is a God of order and beauty, God creates with purpose and function, and we are God's chosen care representatives for this amazing creation. Pastor Hank also challenged us to carve out time for the creation that week and to ask God to be revealed to us through it. As I reflected on our role as chosen care representatives to the creation, I am struck by all the ways we have fallen short. I'm generally an optimistic person, and hopefully that will come through at the end. But when I think about how we, how all of us, were created to care for the earth, I cannot help but be overcome and overwhelmed with sorrow for all the ways that we have failed. Now, to get us focused on the creation, let's take a minute to notice the world around us. Since we're doing this virtually today, I want you to picture a local place where you have felt surrounded by the creation. Maybe it's a park or your backyard. If you're struggling, here's a photo of my yard. And I want you to imagine the warmth of the sun on your skin. Feel the breeze on your face. In my yard, I often hear birds chirping, leaves being rustled by the wind blowing through the trees. And right now, I'm hearing a lot of cicadas. But most of what we consider God's creation is really our creation. My family planted many of the flowers, bushes, and trees in our yard. And each year, we struggle to maintain the grass that somebody planted years ago. However, these things are not what God created to be here in this place. This land was once a forest. When William Penn first founded the Pennsylvania Colony in 1681, it was called Penn's Woods because of the huge oak, hickory, chestnut, and pine trees that covered all the land. But even before the Europeans settled here, we have evidence that the Susquehannock people had been manipulating the forests through controlled fires beginning about 2,000 years ago. So even what we would call the original forest of Pennsylvania were, if not human-created, human-influenced. But these huge trees would have towered over us over 100 feet tall, and their trunks would have been over 25 feet around. It would take many of us to kind of span them. Also, if we would be in that forest, it would be pretty dark underneath the canopy, the leaves at the top of the trees. And probably a bit cooler, maybe even 15 to 20 degrees cooler because of that shade. 
and most likely humid. Probably the moist moisture would be kept in the forest more than it would be in my yard with grass. There would have been many birds living here, maybe even a peregrine falcon nesting in the top of one of the tallest trees, where now peregrine falcons have to nest in the top of tall buildings or bridges since the tallest trees are gone. Predators that we have overhunted and pushed to lands with fewer people, like the lynx, gray wolf, and mountain lion, would have hunted this land. Snakes, frogs, salamanders, and a wide variety of insects would have lived in the leaf litter in the forest, kind of that lower forest floor layer. Strangely, there would have been very few white-tailed deer here, since deer don't live in deep forests. They like to live along the edge, and we've created lots of the edge. This creation that we see today is not God's intended creation. But let's go back and read through the creation story, also looking at how this narrative is reflected in our world today. I'm gonna to be reading from the message, which I find to be pretty accessible and easy to understand. Genesis 1. First, this. God created the heavens and earth, all you see, all you don't see. Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, and inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. God spoke, light, and light appeared. God saw that light was good and separated light from dark. God named the light day, he named the dark night. It was evening, it was morning, day one. God spoke, sky, in the middle of the waters, separate water from water. God made sky. He separated the water under sky from the water above sky, and there it was. He named the heavens, it was evening, it was morning, day two. God spoke, separate, water beneath heaven, gather into one place, land, appear, and there it was. God named the land earth, he named the pooled water ocean. God saw that it was good. Now, you heard, God created the land and the oceans and they were good. But let's think about this reality. Worldwide, we are deforesting this land. The practices used to cut down trees are not the same as if I go out and cut a tree down in my backyard. It's total destruction of the forest. All the trees, plants, and animals are gone. Every minute, 36 football fields worth of forest are destroyed. And in the country of Indonesia, which has the highest rate of deforestation in the world, 15 million acres were lost between 2000 and 2012. Our oceans are being polluted. It is estimated that 1 million to 2.4 million tons of plastic enter our oceans each year from rivers. The Great Pacific Garbage Patch is the largest of five sites where plastic accumulates in the ocean. What happens is the currents move and carry the plastic to one place and then it kind of stays there. And that garbage patch is twice the size of Texas. Let's go back to Genesis. God spoke, earth, green up. Grow all varieties of seed-bearing plants, every sort of fruit-bearing tree, and there it was. Earth produced green seed-bearing plants, all varieties, and fruit-bearing trees of all sorts. God saw that it was good. It was evening, it was morning, day three. You heard God created all varieties of seed-bearing plants and fruit-bearing trees, and they were good. But think about this reality. A typical farm today grows just one or two crops or raises one or two types of animals, and it does so on a large industrial scale. 
Corn is often raised on a 600-acre field. The average hog is raised on a farm with 30,000 other hogs. Not only is the natural biodiversity of the land destroyed, biodiversity is this mix of plants and animals that make up a habitat and were created to live together. But this kind of intensive farming requires the use of chemicals, herbicides, pesticides, fertilizers for the plants, and then antibiotics to keep the animals healthy in that environment. These chemicals poison the land and the people. Runoff from these farms contaminates drinking water. Water, lots and lots of water, is also needed for irrigation. The soil structure is destroyed, causing erosion, which clogs our water with sediment. But let's return to Genesis. Next, God spoke, lights come out, shine in heaven's sky, separate day from night, mark seasons and days and years. Lights in heaven's sky give light to earth, and there it was. God made two big lights, the larger to take charge of day and the smaller to be in charge of night, and he made the stars. God placed them in the heavenly sky to light up earth and oversee day and night to separate light and dark. God saw that it was good. It was evening, it was morning, day four. So you heard God created day and night, light and dark, and it was good, but think about this reality. Some of our cities are so covered in smog and air pollution that we cannot even see the sky. In Beijing, China, there are large screens showing virtual sunrises so people can see the sun come up in the morning because otherwise it would be covered. Our city in Harrisburg is ranked among the worst in the nation for air pollution. The type of air pollution here is linked to all the diesel trucks that drive in our area the burning of coal, and the use of fossil fuels. Let's go back to Genesis. God spoke, swarm, ocean, with fish and all sea life. Birds fly through the sky over earth. God created the huge whales, all the swarm of life in the waters, and every kind and species of flying birds. God saw that it was good. God blessed them, prosper, reproduce, fill the ocean, Birds reproduce on the earth. It was evening, it was morning, day five. God spoke, earth, generate life. Every sort and kind, cattle and reptiles and wild animals, all kinds. And there it was, wild animals of every kind, cattle of all kinds, every sort of reptile and bug, and God saw it was good. So you heard God created sea creatures, birds, cattle, reptiles, wild animals, and they were good. All the animals good. But think about this reality. An estimated one million species are threatened with extinction. Extinction is when the last of a species dies. 500,000 terrestrial species have insufficient habitat. This means they don't have the food, water, land they need to survive. 40,000 amphibians, these are your frogs, toads, um, salamanders, are threatened with extinction. 33% of sharks, whales, and dolphins threatened with extinction. We know of over 680 vertebrate species, these are animals with backbones, that have been lost forever because of human interaction. They are extinct. Here are a few examples. The Pinta Island tortoise became extinct in 2015. This type of giant tortoise is found in the Galapagos Islands off the coast of South America. 
they were amazing creatures, weighing over 700 pounds. These are those giant land tortoises. They can live over 100 years. And my favorite part about them is they spend about 16 hours a day resting. The cause of extinction was a combination of goats that humans introduced to the island, and the goats destroyed their habitat. Rats, also introduced by humans who ate the young tortoises, and humans who preyed on the tortoises, killing them for their meat. The golden toad was last seen in 1989 in Costa Rica in a rainforest. It was declared extinct in 1994. It is believed that pollution, global warming, and skin infections were led to the extinction of this species. And it's crazy, the skin infections, um, scientists found that they actually originated in South Africa. And then because of the pet trade and the um, food, uh, the fact that frogs were eating our food, they were, this disease spread all over the world and is affecting frog populations everywhere. The Chinese paddlefish was declared extinct in December 2019. This fish was found in the Yangtze River in China, and it was one of the world's largest freshwater fish. They could grow up to 23 feet long. And fossil records show that its relatives date back 200 million years in China. The cause of extinction was primarily overfishing and habitat fragmentation, with one of the main contributors being a, a construction of a large dam that was built in 1981. This dam blocked off the spawning grounds for this fish. So what the fish would do is it would swim up the river and lay its eggs. And then when the eggs hatched and the fish grew, they would swim back down. But the dam cut off that natural process. The last male, northern white rhino, died in 2018. He is survived by two sterile females, so it's only a matter of time before we lose this species too. Loss of habitat and poaching, which is the illegal killing of an animal, was the cause of this animal's extinction. It's interesting, the reason rhinos were poached is people wanted their horn, you know, that comes out of their nose, um, and is believed to have medicinal qualities, but the crazy thing is it's made out of the same materials our fingernails are made out of, so unless you believe that you can like nibble on your fingers and have your cancer cured or your headache go away, or your fingernails, sorry, um, it probably isn't effective. But we will never see these creatures that God created and called good again. But let's go back to Genesis, because God was not finished. God spoke, let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature, so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male, female. He blessed them. Prosper, reproduce, fill earth, take charge. Be responsible for fish in the sea and birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. Then God said, I've given you every sort of seed-bearing plant on earth and every kind of fruit-bearing tree, given them to you for food, to all animals and all birds, everything that moves and breathes. I give whatever grows out of the ground for food. And there it was. God looked over everything he had made. It was so good, so very good. It was evening, it was morning, day six. Then heaven and earth were finished down to the last detail. By the seventh day, God had finished his work. On the seventh day, he rested from all his work. God blessed the seventh day. He made it a holy day because on that day, he rested from his work 
all the creating God had done. So this is the story of how it all started, of heaven and earth when they were created. Wow, that's the story of creation. God created and it was good. And we, all of us, are responsible for it. When Pastor Hank preached on caring for creation, he spoke of Genesis 2, where we are called to serve and protect the creation. The Hebrew word for protect is shamar. Shamar is interpreted as keep, but not in terms of possession, like I'll keep this cookie and not share it with you, or this land is my land and I'll do whatever I want with it. It's more as providing sustenance of. I'll keep your kids while you go away for the weekend, or I'll take this land and I'll take care of this land and protect it. Another time the word shamar is used is in the book Numbers chapter six, in the blessing God told to Moses, told Moses to give to Aaron and his sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. This keep in numbers is the same word shamar from the Genesis narrative. This keeping is caring, preserving, protecting, as my bio nerd friends in college, we'd say shamaring the creation. Think about that for a second, let it sink in. We are to care for the creation in the same way God cares for and protects us. We are not owners of the creation. It is not for us to use and consume. We are keepers, conservers who protect the earth and the creatures God created. This earth, these creatures that God created and said, it is good and they are good. God created this world, loves this world, and put us as caretakers. But we are not heeding this call. We've become wrapped up in our lives, in our own worlds, in a society and way of life that does not make it easy for us to see the destruction of the land, the loss of biodiversity, the air pollution, water pollution, death of species. Humans, we have a hard time kind of holding a lot of things in our mind at once. So we focus on what is close at hand, maybe our own self-interest, and we don't even think to look at the world around us. To remember, we should be caring for it. I don't know about all of you, but I've been feeling the weight of lament for the last few months. And it's pretty hard to even think about one more thing that I need to worry about or be responsible for. I have teenage children. I have a, I'm a reader and I have to decide what books I wanna read next. I have finances. We have a crazy political situation, a global pandemic. I'm wondering whether I'll be furloughed from work again. I have to make sure I'm still my beloved dog's favorite person. Whatever the current worry is that clouds my mind. But just like we cannot ignore other difficult things God calls us to, we also can't ignore caring for the creation. But it is helpful to remember that we are in this together. There is a sense among those of us who do care about the creation that we are alone in this work, that there is so much that needs to be done and we're the only ones who care. Aldo Leopold, an early 20th century ecologist said, one of the penalties of an ecological education is that one lives alone in a world of wounds. As someone who cares deeply about these issues, I often have felt alone in churches and have let frustration and the enormity of the situation overwhelm me. But I do not need to live alone in caring for the creation. My brothers and sisters, we are called to this work together. So, okay, how do we do it? Once we see, once we agree that we are called to this by God to care for the earth together, what's next? Well, just like other things, we're called to be obedient. We are called to actually do the work. To paraphrase my good friend Jay McDermott's Facebook post, do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief, 
the creation's grief. Do justly now, love mercy now, walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. So let's talk about what we can do. I'll start with what I do to care for the creation, and then I have a few ideas of what our church can do. So 13 years ago, my family combined households with my parents. This allows us to consume many fewer resources by living with them. We use less energy, we have fewer appliances, we only need one of everything, one dishwasher, one refrigerator. We're able to share vehicles. We can share chores and yard work that allows more time for other things. Now, you may be thinking, okay, I'm off the hook. I could never live with my parents. But there are many ways to live in community, sharing resources with others. You could have a friend live with you, or friends live with you, or a college student or young adult who needs a place to live. You could live near a friend or make good friends with your neighbors and share your life and the things that we have in this world. Do you need your own lawnmower, snowblower, pickup truck, van, power tools, garden? We live in a world that tries to sell us consumption all the time and the idea of having it all. But we serve a God that asks us to protect this creation and live differently. You can buy your clothes at a secondhand store. This also removes you from a system of unsafe, possibly unfair labor practices and global supply chains. You can eat lower on the food chain, eat less meat, or maybe even no meat. Throw away less food waste. Buy from a local farmer, local grocery store, or a farmer's market. You could walk, use public transportation, or bike. At various points in our life, we have done all of these. And you may even choose where you live and work based on access. Throw away less trash. I gave up, up single-use plastic for Lent. That meant no to-go cups, no plastic bags at the grocery store. This also meant that when I forgot, I would have to load up all my bagless groceries in the cart, transfer them individually to my car, and then carry them individually into my house. You would think this would make me more inclined to remember the bags, but it didn't work out like that. Could you carpool? Or buy the smallest, most fuel-efficient vehicle possible? Maybe we drive less. Maybe before flying on a plane, you ask yourself, the trip is necessary and or worth it. I love to travel, but I think we need to consider the cost of air travel. You may decide that yes, in fact, it is worth it, but I think having that conversation is important. Now, what can our church do? Well, we can talk about it. Have sermons like this one and Hank's that call us to care for the environment. We can follow up on these sermons with a class. Something I'd love to do. Maybe if you're interested, you let me know. You could pray. Pray for the loss of species. Pray for degraded ecosystems. Pray for clean water and clean air. We can equip and familiar, familiarize ourselves to talk about our care for the environment with our friends and families. We should be knowledgeable on climate change. Here are a few things that have happened pretty recently. On August 16th, Death Valley in California had the hottest temperature ever recorded on Earth. It was 129.9 degrees. And on August 16th, or I'm sorry, on August 15th, the day before, the National Weather Service issued its first ever warning for a tornado born from a wildfire. They're calling it a fire-nado. That's crazy. In June, it was 100 degrees in Siberia for the first time ever. And this year, Siberia, which is known to be a very cold place, 
averaged nine degrees hotter than normal from January to June. We are not called to be care, we are not only called to be caretakers of the creation, we are also called to care for the least of these. And the International Organization for Migration estimates that as a result of extreme environmental changes, there could be as many as 200 million climate refugees by 2050. Honestly, this topic alone could be another sermon, sermon series, Sunday school series. What else can we do? Maybe we bring coffee mugs to church instead of using to-go cups. Maybe we bring plates and silverware to our community meals. We can ask each other hard questions about how we are living related to caring for the creation in the same way we would hold each other accountable in other areas. Are we called to live a smaller life than we are currently living? Can we consume less, have a smaller house, one less vehicle? We can support local efforts like the eco-village that's moving into the Bishop McDevitt building. We can ask God what we can do and look for ways to care for the creation every day. Let's end in prayer together. Dear Jesus, we stand in, awe, in wonder of your beautiful, awe-inspiring creation. We thank you for the energy, food, shelter, and pleasure it gives us. We ask forgiveness for all the ways we have fallen short in our call to practice shamar, the keeping and protecting of your creation. We pray for guidance as we strive to be better caregivers, as we do this together as your people called to do your will. Amen.